We are in Acts chapter 9 and 10 today, and like many of these sermons, there's a little bit of scripture to get through today. And so with that, I want to kind of get right into it, because, because it is a couple of chapters to kind of work our way through, and, and there is a truth that we need to remind ourselves of that Acts chapters 9 and 10 will remind us things that maybe we've forgotten, especially if we've been going to church for a while it's easy to fall into a rut, and you've heard that the definition of a rut is a, is a grave with the ends knocked out, and, and it's easy to fall into a rut and take things for granted. We are lost, we are damned without Jesus as our Savior. Our world disagrees, but our world is wrong. And so we find ourselves in Acts chapter 9, and we'll just jump right in on this. Acts chapter 9. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. And as he neared Damascus on his journey, Suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him, and he fell to the ground, and he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. He replied, now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but they did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground. But when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. And so they led him by the hand into Damascus. And for three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. And the Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision... He has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he's done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he's come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, go, this man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings. And before the people of Israel, I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. And then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord, Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Well, immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. One of the problems that we're falling into in the 21st century, I'm sure it's always been a problem, it seems worse, maybe, maybe it's always been the problem the same, but it seems worse, is that we are increasingly more worried about our, about our emotions and thinking with our feelings to determine truth. 
if I really believe something, and if I'm passionate about it, it's my truth. So here's why there's, this is a problem. My dad used to preach on Long Island, New York, in, in East Northport on Long Island. And anytime we had visitors, we enjoyed taking them to Sagamore Hill. Sagamore Hill was Teddy Roosevelt's house. It's amazing. It's the coolest place on Long Island. If you ever get the chance, it's worth going. It's enormous. You can learn so many things about President Roosevelt, who was a fascinating character, uh, to say the least. One of the things that, that just stuck with me, Teddy Roosevelt had asthma. And so, because he had asthma, they gave him the tried and true cure for asthma, stick four cigars in his mouth and make him smoke those all at once. They did that again and again. They really believed it would help. And, and that's what matters, right? That's what determines truth. Truth is determined by if you really believe something. It isn't, is it? Emotions and belief alone and passion are not enough. So back at the end of Acts chapter 7, Stephen, one of the original seven, I'm going to call them deacons of the church, one of the, one of the seven deacons of the church got killed. They stoned him to death. And watching Stephen get so stoned, holding the coats of those that were throwing the rocks, was the Pharisee, Saul. Saul then begins to persecute Christians and really gets into the bounty hunting of Christians. And he's such an amazing lesson to us. He's really on fire. He is all in. He he is convinced that he is serving God the way that God wants to be served. These Christians are schismatics. They're preaching a false truth. And, and Saul is going to stamp out this false truth and keep the worship of God pure. Absolutely see that. We totally get why he's doing it. So he's good, right? He's okay. He was really passionate. He was really sincere. And he was sincerely wrong. He sold out to the wrong cause. He thought he was right. He wasn't. And passion alone wasn't. And even good motives didn't excuse the fact that he was in the wrong. We can't help but admire Saul's zealotry, but he's zealous for the wrong cause. And we can say, well, he was mistaken. Okay, yeah, but that, that, did that bring Stephen back from the dead? Oh, I made a mistake. Sorry, Stephen, you shouldn't have been killed. It doesn't bring him back. It doesn't get Saul off the hook. An honest mistake still was getting innocent people thrown in prison, killed. Saul really thought he was doing God's business. And really he was God's enemy and was fighting against God's plan. Well, he means well doesn't cut it. Not in this case. Uh, Inevitably, the phrase, well, he means well, always prefaces, but you really messed up. Anytime anybody has said, well, Jason meant well, that always means I messed up every time. Uh, Saul meant well. I, I, I believe that, actually. But man, he was wrong. Um, <laughs> if it, and that doesn't apply to anything else, right? If, if I have, yeah, every now and then you hear these horrific, my understanding is now that if you have a surgery, like if you're going to have a surgery on, your, on a leg, they write on your leg with a marker now, this leg, not this, and on the other one, not this leg, or something like that. Because mistakes have been made. And meaning well doesn't mean that there aren't going to be serious consequences. If, you know, I, 
the phrase, well, my surgeon meant well, is not the beginning of a good, fr- of, of a good, of a good phrase. If I tell the government, I honestly thought that's all I owed on my taxes, that's not going to get rid of the fact that I'm still going to owe them penalties for that which I did not pay. History is replete with conflicts, wars, that were started over bad information, um, bad intelligence gathering. We, we made a mistake. You, di- you, did, you, didn't have, you, you weren't raising an army against us. Sorry that we killed off a few of your towns. Doesn't, doesn't undo the fact. Being sincere is not enough. And there's a problem when our society begins to think that, that it's the emotions and the sincerity that matter and not the facts of, of truth. This is, our, this is a problem with our world. Our world, humanity, has, and not just now, We've always been in rebellion against God. But Jason, I don't think I'm in rebellion against God. That's okay. That doesn't matter. It doesn't matter that you, you, it doesn't matter that you set out. Nobody sets out to say, you know, I think that the God of the Bible is real and I hate him. I don't know anybody that feels that. Most of our world doesn't believe that this book is truth. I think that most people in this world don't wake up and think, how can I be a bad person today? I think most people are, are trying to get through this life. I think that most people would like to be better, nicer. But without Jesus, they're still lost. And rejecting Christ, even if they say, well, how can I accept him if I don't think that the Bible is true? That's why we need to tell them that the Bible is true and show them that the Bible is true. Because, the Bible, because Saul meant well, and he honestly thought he was working for God. And God goes out of his way to say, Saul, knock it off. Stop persecuting me. Our world is in rebellion against God. We are enemies of him. We are in opposition until we surrender to him. And surrender is hard. Because then we have to admit that we were wrong. And all of us at nature, there's a pride that kicks up and we don't want to admit that we're wrong. We may not think that we are against God. We may not think that we are his enemies, but the entire gospel message is that we are enemies of God. Our sin separates us from him, and until we can acknowledge that and repent and say, my way is not working, I need God's way, until we do that, we're lost. And it, and it doesn't matter how well we mean. What a shocker to find out that we are wrong. We can be sincere and be sincerely wrong. It takes humility to come to God, to seek restoration, to seek a relationship with him through his son Jesus, to find salvation. I can admire Saul's zealotry. I really can. I, I wish I had a, a fraction of his, of his enthusiasm and his passion and his drive. Um, but that very passion and drive, quite frankly, was keeping him from hearing the truth of Christ, though. And it took... I had a history teacher in high school that pointed out that this is where we get the phrase, then he saw the light. And I think that that's true. I, I bet that that's where this phrase comes from. It really took a, <laughs> we even use the phrase a road to Damascus moment sometimes. It really took that road to Damascus moment for Saul to have, t- to have God get hold of him in a way that, that was supernatural to try to get his attention. Zealotry is only a virtue when it's coupled with the truth. 
when it's turned over to Christ. Otherwise, it's just pride. Saul reminds us that we are all in rebellion before we are reconciled to God. Whether we admit it or not, whether we mean well or not, there are only two sides in this conflict. We are either on God's side or we are opposed to him. We are enemies. We are against him. And we need to know that. We need to know that so that we can draw closer to God. We, we, need to not, we need to never forget that we were enemies. And then with compassion, we look at the rest of the world and say, much of our world doesn't realize that they're on the wrong side of, the, of, of this spiritual conflict. And they need to be shown. And if we love them and if we're compassionate for them, the way that God is compassionate for them, then we will be able to tell them, you may mean well, but you are wrong. And it's not because Jason is right. It's not because the first church of Christ is, is right. It's because God is right, because his word is right. I'm only right when I'm right with this book. And when I can tell people, this is where the truth is, and of course they're not going to believe me the first time I tell them. I don't want them to follow me anyway. But over time, as I continue to show them in my life and gently explain to them the truth, I pray that they will see that what they're doing isn't working. And that what God provides does. And in that way, we will show them the love of God and the salvation that he offers. So I want to keep reading. I want to to turn to chapter 10. As we continue to talk about being enemies of God. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian Regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need, and he prayed to God regularly. One day, at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? he asked. The angel answered, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now, Send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner, uh, whose house is by the sea. And when the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened, and he sent them to Joppa. About noon, the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals, as well as reptiles of the earth and birds of the air. And then a voice told him, Get up, Peter. Kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. But this happened three times. And immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was, and they stopped at the gate. And they called out asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, The spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you, so get up and go downstairs. Don't hesitate to go with them, for I've sent them. 
Peter went down and said to the men, I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? The men replied, we've come from Cornelius the centurion. He is a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to have you come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. Then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guests. People, human beings, are kind of dumb sometimes, aren't we? We we need examples. A lot of times I need pictures. Your coffee cup from McDonald's comes with a warning that it's hot. And that's because people are dumb. Right? I mean, that's just, most of us even know the story of why we got there. and And it's insanity that someone ordered coffee and sued them because it was hot. And so now we have warnings on our coffee cups when we order coffee that it's hot because people can be kind of stupid. We're all there. I'm not picking on anybody. Um, This applies (laughs) just as much. If anybody in the Bible, I feel like this applies to Peter as much as it does anybody. I think that we get this. This guy lived in extremes. Um, Other than Jesus, there's only one guy that walked on water. He didn't, it wasn't a raging success, but he got more steps on water than I've ever had. Um, He walked on water. When Jesus says, who am I? Peter is the one that says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus only uses the word church twice, and that's one of the times. On that foundation, I will build my church. But this is also the same guy that says, I'll never deny you, Jesus. And less than 12 hours later, he denied Jesus three times. This is the guy that's, you know, can I... So, So many times we see that he gets it wrong. So many times he gets it really right. He's just very extreme, one or the other. He either really gets it or he really misses it. And and here, God loves everyone. We have to we we cannot stay, we we miss the point of the whole Bible if we don't realize that God loves everyone. We are all made in His image. That image is cracked. Sin has marred that image. But like a mirror has a crack in it, it still works. You can still see the reflection somewhat. We are made, broken though we are, we are made in the image of God. God raised up a man named Abraham and and through Abraham called the nation of Israel to follow him. He loved them uh, and called them not because Israel was better, let me be clear on that. Not because they were more worthy, but he chose them to be tools of his love to the rest of the world. God loves all men. We are separated from him, but that's not by his choice. He doesn't want to be separated from us. He wants to redeem all men and bring all men back. It's our sin that we choose that separates us from God. The Christian who believes that this book is true I believe, I believe that Adam and Eve were real people. The New Testament resoundingly speaks of them as real people. I don't think they're allegory. I know some people think that. I, I think Adam and Eve were real. I think Noah and his wife, who I still will continue to call Joan, I think Noah and, and Joan were real. And as such, I think we're all descended from Noah. And therefore, 
we have a common humanity. Every person on this earth, we, we, have, a, we have a common humanity. And, and because I believe we're all descended, and, and, I, and I see nothing in the Bible that encourages a belief that one person is better than another. I don't see anywhere that God loves some people more than others. In fact, I see the exact opposite. Neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free. I see that he loves everybody equally. We see that God loves all mankind, wants to save all mankind through his people, first Israel, then the church. I think it's impossible for someone to follow the word of God and hold any kind of viewpoint that some people are better than others. Racism or supremacy or whatever you want to call that. I just think you can't follow the Bible and hold those viewpoints. If, if those are viewpoints that I hold, I'm not following the Bible. I'm ignoring the book because God loves all men. His choice, his choice, what he wants, is that all men are redeemed to him. And so he sent Jesus to die not just for Israel. Jesus died for everybody. A lot of people in Israel, what we read in the Old Testament is that a lot of people in Israel, not everybody, but a lot of people got mistaken along the way. God chose them, and they turned that into this kind of superiority complex of we're God's favorites. I, I get it. I, I, I'm embarrassed to say that I probably would have done the same, missed that mess. Apparently, most people did. A lot of people missed that message. But what God wanted them to be was a light to the rest of the world, to show his love, to show what it looked like to be God's people. I, th- I think a lot of them missed that along the way, and the church can miss that along the way, and come into this idea God likes the people in our church, and somehow he doesn't like the people outside of the church, and if you want God to love you, come to church. And that's not how that works. God loves everybody. Come to church so that you can experience his salvation his love is unconditional salvation is conditional we must be christians to be saved but god already loves everybody and he wants everybody to come to him through christ he doesn't love the church more he certainly doesn't love any any country ours or any other more than any other he loves everybody jesus died for everybody god loves all people so he told peter in this vision that he loves every this this vision that peter has is a vision of going uh, of what god has made is not unclean he has this vision of eat some food and 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 to this point the jews had been told there are certain foods that you can't have and certain foods that you can't i think that i absolutely believe that was to teach them holiness but when it comes to people All people are loved by God. And so he has this vision that is not an accident, that immediately after the vision, let's put what you've just learned from this vision in practice, Cornelius, who is not Jewish, who is a Roman centurion, Cornelius needs to learn about God. Peter, Peter, go with them. Peter, Peter was zealous for God. But, But like Saul thought he was doing right when he wasn't Peter had. Because, again, many in Israel had this idea that God loved Israel better than the rest of the world, and Peter was in this mindset. We know this because Paul calls him on this later. This is not some... The, chapter 10 isn't when he miraculously goes from, from 180 degrees, from God loves only Israel to everybody's equal because we see that he struggles with this he was raised in a culture where his culture was better 
than all the others out there. Easy to fall into, right? Easy to fall into in the U.S. where you can think that if you're born in America, you're somehow better than everybody else. Easy to think if you're born in the church. Your parents were in the church and you were raised in the church that somehow that makes you better than everybody else. Very easy to fall into. Peter has to swallow his pride and admit that his instinctive ways of doing things, even if he thought they were right, were not correct. That God was right and Peter was wrong. And so I have to wonder how much I'm like Peter. Um, How much do I let, how much do I make God approve of my culture rather than me saying, if I'm not lined up with the Bible, then I'm wrong. That God is always right and I'm only right when I'm lined up with it. It's very easy in America in the 21st century to look at American culture and say, this is what God loves. God loves it when we're biblical. And, and it's very easy to tack on things that aren't biblical and then say, well, and, and God loves those too. God just wants us to be Christ-like, and we see all the answers of what that looks like in the Bible. It's very easy to try to make God keep up with culture. But that's not the goal. The goal. We need to keep up with God. And I do think that as our country becomes increasingly less Christian, church attendance is at an all-time low in the U.S., as our culture becomes increasingly less Christian, the gap between that which is cultural and that which is biblical is growing. It's not shrinking. We are less biblical as a culture than we ever have been. We as Christians need to make sure that it's the Bible leading us and not culture. We want to make Jesus look like our culture, and how he presented himself in his book. We want a God that approves of us already instead of a God that changes us. Changes us to be who he meant us to be. Holy, loving, sinless, ultimately. God's goal is to free us from sin. He wants us to be Christ-like. So let's finish reading this, this chapter, picking up where we left off. I think we left off in the middle of verse 23. The next day, Peter started out with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa went along. The following day, he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence, but Paul made him get up. Stand up, he said. I'm only a man myself. Um, Talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, You are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with a Gentile or visit him. But God has shown me that I should not call any man impure or unclean. And so when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you you sent for me? Cornelius answered, Four days ago, I was in my house praying at this hour, at three in the afternoon. And suddenly a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. Send to Joppa for Simon, who's called Peter. He is a guest in the home of Simon the Tanner, who lives by the sea. And so I sent for you immediately, and it was good of you to come. Now, we're all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts men from every nation who fear him and who do what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, telling the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout Judea, 
beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews, and in Jerusalem they killed him by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed As judge of the living and the dead, all the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in his name, sorry, that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sin through his name. And while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, Can anyone keep these people from being baptized with water? They've received the Holy Spirit just as we have. And so he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. Acts chapter 10 is a big deal. It's one of those pivotal chapters that changes everything. A lot of times the church looks to Acts chapter 2 as a big deal, and it is. Acts chapter 2 is where we get the church. So rightfully so, Acts chapter 2 is is a foundational chapter for for the church, for why we do what we do. Rightly so. Um, The start of the church changes everything. So much of the Old Testament points to Acts chapter 2 in particular. But Acts chapter 10 is a big deal as well. Because before this, the church is Jewish. It's just Jewish. And most of us in here are not Jewish. And this is when that changes. All, yeah, you might say, but Jason, Jason, there are so many, uh, we, we've read about people from other countries. In Acts chapter 2, the reason the apostles spoke in different languages was because there were these people from all these other countries. Yes, but they were Jewish and they had come back to Jerusalem to worship. We say, but, but didn't, weren't the deacons in Acts chapter 6 chosen to minister to the Grecian widows? Yes, but these were the widows of Grecian Jews, and they were still Jewish. And we go to Simon the sorcerer, but that was in Samaria, and the Samaritans had one foot in Judaism. I think they were wrong on a lot of things, but they were, they, they were, not, as, they, they were not unattached to, to the historic Jew, Jewish faith to some extent. The Ethiopian eunuch had gone to Jerusalem to worship God. To this point, the church was Jewish. Even if you had somebody like the Ethiopian, you know, and this text points that out, because... When, when the Holy Spirit comes upon Cornelius and his household, the text lets us know that Peter and all his other circumcised friends, because that's the symbol of Judaism, were just amazed that the Spirit came upon all the uncircumcised, which tells me that prior to this, that didn't happen. That everybody prior to this was Jewish, or, or tangentially Jewish, perhaps, with the Samaritans. But that this was the time when it, This was when the Holy Spirit showed that the gospel was for the whole world and not just Israel. It's a big deal. Uh, We see here that God loves everyone. Even Cornelius, who a good man, a God-fearing man, but but not Jewish, very very clearly. Um, Cornelius was good, 
feared God. So if he fears God, as the text says, God loves him. That's very clear. Sends an angel to talk with him. He's good, right? He doesn't need anything. Obviously, he's not good. Or why send Peter to talk with, again, someone who's sincere, someone who, who wants the truth but isn't there yet. Wanting the truth doesn't, doesn't solve it. God sends Peter to Cornelius. Cornelius was sincere, he feared God, but sincerity in fearing God is not enough. But God saw within Cornelius a man who wanted to follow God even more closely in the truth. He didn't want his version of God, but he wanted the true God. And he showed himself to him that way. God chose Peter to reveal this truth. Yeah, he could have just given Cornelius a vision. Jesus is my son, follow him. God could have done it that way. So why didn't he? Why, why, why send Peter? I think that there's a couple of reasons. One was I think this was a lesson for Peter. I think Peter, and, and because of Peter, the church, the early church, needed to see proof that God accepted all people, not just the Jewish people. I absolutely think that's there. But I think it's for us, too, as the church. We need to see that. We, we need to see that if Jesus is the way and the truth and the life, then the gospel comes through the preaching of the church, not just visions from heaven. Peter, as a representative of the early church, had to be there. Cornelius cannot be left to his own devices. He has to come to God through the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is a message he has entrusted with his church. Otherwise, Jesus didn't need to die, and Jesus didn't need to found his church. This is when we join the church. We who are not Jewish, this is when we're given permission to be a part of God's kingdom. We who are lost, we are not good enough on our own. We might mean well, might be sincere, but sincerity is not enough. We are sincerely wrong apart from God. Like it or not, we are enemies of God. But if we are sincere, then being shown the truth sets us free. And we see what Peter saw, that God's ways are better than ours. God's ways are best, and he loves us and wants to follow him in truth. I'm not sure whose redemption is bigger here. Cornelius is redeemed, but Peter is redeemed, isn't he? And I don't know which is the bigger deal. Peter had a lot of difficult presuppositions to give up, and he still struggles with this. Paul calls him on it later. I don't know. I don't think it just happens like that. I think it's a gradual dawning process through this chapter, because he goes with Cornelius he goes to Cornelius' house, but he still doesn't get it entirely, right? It's when the Holy Spirit comes upon him, that, or comes upon Cornelius and his family. When the Holy Spirit comes upon Cornelius and his family, that's when Peter kind of wakes up and says, wow, these, we should baptize them. Again, we see that link between the Holy Spirit and baptism. And when the Spirit comes upon them without baptism, Peter says, that's kind of a Big deal. That's only ever happened once before. That happened back in Acts chapter 2 when the church, found, church began. We should look into that and, and, and we should pay attention to what this is. And so he orders, he orders them to be baptized There's, because he can't deny them that. I, I think Peter was growing. I don't think this was a single aha moment, but that Peter was growing in Christ. I think it was a dawning realization. And that's healthy. That's, that's what I want. 
I'm not going to have just aha moments where I change 180. I want to gradually grow in Christ, and that's healthy, as I continue to grow and learn bit by bit. Our hymn of invitation today is hymn number 308. And again, we see here how to become a Christian. We see that God loves us. He wants to save us. We cannot be saved without doing it his way. And I think that's the key. You're not good, you are not good enough without him. Don't believe that lie. Our world says you're fine. Do your own thing. The Bible is very clear. Your own thing will not save you. If you haven't accepted Christ as Lord and Savior, let's talk about what that looks like. Thank you for listening. You can contact us at our website, firstchurchofchristelkins.com, where you can also find out more. Have a nice week.